most wonderful show is keeping up with the Joneses. So we're still on vacation, living the dream. And we'll be back next week to our regular programming schedule. But we hate the thought of not staying in touch, so we prepared a few special episodes for you. If you missed last week's uh, podcast, Alan interviewed the developers of the app New Bible, which is a wonderful Bible app for your iPhone or iPad. And if you want to hear about people passionate about their work, about Christians who live in Silicon Valley, or just three happy nerdy people... Uh, talking about thoughtful design, go listen to last week's episode. For this week, we wanted to introduce you to a friend of ours called Blake Strand. Blake, we've talked about before in the podcast, he actually helped us start podcasting. Yes, he did. If it wasn't for Blake, babe, I doubt we would have even got into podcasting. I don't think we would have. He's a super smart friend of ours. He and his wife, Elena, both former graduates and staff of our school, Supernatural Life, have a podcast called White Flag Wealth, where they have been having this no-shame journey into abundance. And a while back, Blake came and interviewed me about this whole topic of abundance. We we sat in, in this room, actually, and we just chatted back and forth about the nature of God, how generous he is, what we're called to live like. And and he called the episode, Does God Want You to Be Rich? I wish he'd found a more controversial title for that uh, interview. I know. I know. <laughs> I really do too. And while we do talk about money, we talk a whole lot more. I forgot that we recorded this. And as a kind of a pre-launch for their podcast, White Flag Wealth, he released our interview. And a while back, I was listening to it. And I thought that our audience might like to listen to it. You may have heard it already on Blake's podcast. If you haven't, we're going to roll that for you now. So on my blog, I have this Jesus quote, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So you are the pastor here. When you hear that quote, do do you think of money? Do you think of you know, just a spiritual fullness. What what does that bring to mind? What does that mean for you? Well, that verse, especially that verse, has uh, a long history with me. So allow me to go back in time when I would say I was absolutely in the negative of anything to do with life. So I've told the story so many times, but when I was 21 years old, had a nervous breakdown for one of a better phrase. About two or three years later, I'm no longer suffering the symptoms, but I'm a shell of a person. Can't look at people in the eyes, can't have a conversation, can't walk down a street for fear that people are going to ask something of me, even if it's the time. I am just a complete neurotic shell of a person who is not suffering uh, ongoing mental anguish, but I am suffering the residue of mental anguish. And I used to have anxiety attacks and panic attacks a lot. So that's the quality of my life. And I remember waking up one night, as I would often do, at two or three in the morning, panicking, cold sweat. And just thinking to myself, this can't be the sum total of the existence that Jesus paid for. Like, so somewhere I had the theology growing up that when you get saved, that's awesome. But when you give your life to Jesus, all that happens is your eternal destination changes. I mean, nothing else. Like whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever is your lot in life is your lot in life. And you just endure it really, really well until you die or Christ comes back again. But that verse was the thing that got me thinking because I was like, There's another verse where Paul says, having given us his only son, now will he not give us so much more? 
Like having given us the most precious thing, everything else is gravy is my version of that. Yeah. Which is funny that he would phrase it that way as if that's obvious. It's like right. n- now that he gave this unbelievable gift, how much more will he just give you more? Somehow? Right. It's like, uh, oh yeah, I would think that would be pretty logical for him to stop. <laughs> like he already gave. Yeah. I, and yet it seems like the transformation of the kingdom of heaven and all its benefits is the ground floor. Hmm. This is what Paul's mm-hmm. saying. And so that combined with this verse, because I remember waking up really like panicking and I remember quoting that verse back to the Lord. I said, Lord, you said you came and gave life and life abundant and I am barely living life. Like I am barely hanging on. My quality of life sucks. I, I don't mean to be rude. I'm really grateful for salvation, but I refuse to believe this is what you paid for. And that was the first time I ever thought there's got to be more. And it, I, I don't know how long ago that was. I was 23 and 40 now, so do the math. 17 years? Did you see that? Is it, yeah. Math genius, That's just fine. like that. I might not even be right. But, you know, it took me all that time. I think that I think since that point, everything in my life has been an upgrade. Like Jesus has just been taking an area of my life and saying, is this what abundance looks like? And that gets uncomfortable. So when you ask me what area do I think it is, historically, most people would say, well, he's talking about heaven, clearly, life and life abundant. But I think heaven begins here. Of course, heaven's a literal place, Hmm. for sure. But I think our job is to bring what's available into the natural. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that you have a history with that verse, too, and that it's caused you problems, the good sort of problems. Right. It totally has for me as well. And my initial reaction was just, I was at a place where I think I didn't really understand how to interact with God. Didn't really know what it meant to hear, hear God's voice. I put that in air quotes because I didn't even know for sure that that was a real thing or if that was just kind of a, a phrase for lack of a better term of understanding your circumstances or understanding in hindsight what was happening. And the only way I knew that I could I guess, feel God. The only way I knew was through conviction of sin, which it was actually so you, like looking back, it was just guilt. So all he would do is speak to you about the negative in your life. Exactly. Right. That's all I really had an ear for, honestly. Right. And so I'm with I, you. and I was walking around in, and in college, I was like, I'm, I'm borderline depressed right now. And I'm walking around And when it comes to interacting with God or what separates me as a Christian is that I get to feel bad about myself a lot. And then I read this verse and I go, "Uh Oh, like, is that, if that is true, then surely this can't be the case. Right. And I think that is why one of the reasons the Bible is there is to arrest you really to arrest you. And you get to stop and ask yourself is, am I living what this verse says? Mm-hmm. And I think probably what's happened in most people's lives is we've watered down the Bible. We've diluted our theology and what we think the Bible means to make us comfortable with the choices we've made in life. Rather than using the scriptures to have a higher benchmark, which we're called upwards to. Hmm. You know, so Romans 3.23, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Well, we think, yeah, man, it sucks. See, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But what does that verse mean once you're saved? Isn't it about time you look for the glory of God that was once ascribed to you that we can be living at? And that messes with you. Mm-hmm. So going back to the first verse, I've come and give you life and life abundant. When I heard that verse, I was in deficit or debt in terms of 
of quality of life. Man, I was I was a wreck. And I think that it was a challenge to realize, oh, God's not okay with that. I, I think I used to think, I used to just agree with fatalism. Whatever is happening right now must be God's will. Therefore, be the best version of yourself in this. And, yeah, totally. And I don't think that's true. I think that when you have a revelation of the, where you're living right now, it's to give you options of what's available. Not to just go, well, this is my lot in life. I guess I'll just be an endurer. Well, why not try overcoming? That seems like way more attractive than enduring. <laughs> you can give me the option. Okay, well, I'll just endure here in poverty and in sickness and uh, mundaneness, and I'll just show how good I am at persevering in the midst of this. Or, or you could look for an upgrade. That's so interesting because I didn't ever think of connecting my beliefs, right or wrong, about abundance with a deeper question of God's will and how do we know God's will and doesn't God always get his way, you know, and are, are things happening that aren't his will? You know, a saying that I grew up with was God is in control. And what I took that to mean was literally everything that's happening is because God is controlling it. Right. You know, which I don't blame that on my teachers, but on what I like received from that was, oh, my circumstances are this. And so... Well, it's a very comforting theology because it removes any responsibility from you. Uh You can just abdicate all choices and it's God's will. But plenty of stuff happens that wouldn't be God's choice. You know, I love when I teach this, I love to walk up to someone in the front row and hit them in the face. (laughs) right? Just Just to illustrate. And I just ask people, is it God's will that I hit somebody in the face? No, it isn't. And yet it happened. How how do you, you know, and, and people are just like, oh. Yeah. So is God aware of everything that's going on? Absolutely. Is God the ultimate redeemer? Absolutely. Will everything in life be redeemed? Yes, it absolutely will. Whether in this life or the next life, absolutely will. But in the meantime, we've been given supernatural options available to us that are are supposed to radically alter your life. And if you look at the life of Jesus, that's all he did. Everybody he encountered, he didn't say, you know, the, the lepers of the day, the 10 lepers that come to him and just say, you know, you know, master, would you heal us? He wasn't like, sorry, guys, you know, this is just, just suffer well. No, he absolutely transformed their life or the beggar who was blind. You know, everybody want to ask whose fault is it? You can absolutely say that they're in the beggar or the leper or anyone's interaction with Jesus left them with abundance. It's just a byproduct. Blessing is a byproduct of interaction with God. Hmm. I'm going to tweet that later. <laughs> I remember Bill Johnson saying something. I, mean, I remember Bill Johnson saying lots, but I remember Bill saying this. It's responsible Christian living to pursue the blessing of God in every area of your life. Hmm. And I, that, again, arrested me because I know people who are really, really blessed and I know people who are really, really not. And I was just like, well, I guess it was God's will that they would be blessed and it's God's will that those people wouldn't. It did never dawned me that you can actually partner with God to upgrade your life. And I would say upgrade in every single area, in your health, your relationships, your thought process, your finances, your outlook on life, your thought life. He's constantly interested in giving you life and life abundant. I have to admit that there are there is a separation in my mind, and I notice a discomfort when the conversation glides from... like for some reason it was so much easier for me to grab a hold of first God's interested in my heart 
my spirit, spiritual abundance. Second, my physical well-being and the well-being of my family and my ability to uh, live life without, you know, just ridiculous pain or, or something like that. Right. And then, you know, you throw in with a comma finances and I notice a discomfort where mm-hmm. I go, oh, and I don't know if it's because maybe maybe when I was growing up, the the best Christians were the ones who were living with very little. Right. You know, and and how did that happen? And have you had a discomfort at all when it comes to applying that principle to finances or oh. how does that look in your life? Oh, und- undoubtedly so. And I would say, you know, I don't know how I got this, whether it was osmosis from the culture I grew up in, but uh, this is this is what I remember. Like this is me now using hindsight to evaluate what I grew up with. So I don't think I was even aware of it. You know, whatever you grew up with is normal. But I come back to that old saying, "Kesara, sara." You know, whatever will be, will be. So there, I knew wealthy Christians growing up, and I knew normal Christians. You know, you you what whatever you you think is normal is your norm. That's usually what you're experiencing. And then so I knew people who were richer than my family, people who were like my family, and people who were poorer than my family. And we didn't think any of those were sinful. But woe betide you were you to try and <laughs> move up because then that's worldliness. So the notion that you could somehow be born a wealthy Christian is okay because clearly God, you know, meant that for you. But you should just be grateful for what you have and be thankful, which, of course, that's not bad. But any attempt to increase or, you know, steward abundance or anything like that, well, it's probably sinful. I mean, that nobody taught me that. That's just what I learned. Totally. And I I struggled with that until, I don't know the year, but I remember hearing a word from Isaiah 61 from Graham Cook. And it was such a good word that I wrote it down and I just, I, it was so staggering, this mindset that the people of God should be favored, which again is like a duh. <laughs> it's a duh, this side of that revelation. But before, and I was like, should they be though? Should they be though? But, you know, Isaiah 61 is a promise about what Jesus is going to do and what he has done. And it was out of, it was from that point there that the Lord started really challenging my thought life. So Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. You can read that story as I had done for years and never spot the generosity of the father. What you notice is the the lavish living of the son, how he did everything wrong, and how the son restored him. And we think, oh, the son went away and made a mistake, and then the father, you know, brought the balance back up to zero. But that's not what he does. He's already spent his inheritance, but the father comes back and with abundance puts, you know, sandals on his feet, gives him the family ring, which is like the, the credit card, and basically restores him back to sonship. That means that the father is giving out of his abundance what wasn't the son's, because the son had already had his share. He was giving out of his abundance to restore his son to back where he was. So actually the story is about the extravagant father, not the wasteful son. And I remember that when I remember my laptop. I had a, I was given a laptop and I remember it dying. I was in Japan, my hard drive dying and it was getting a little bit old. And I was guiltily thinking about getting a new laptop, which is ludicrous. It was it was dead. This is what I do for my living. I need a new <laughs> laptop. And yet I'm feeling bad. And my 
my default solution to a broken laptop is to kind of look for you know something less than i need and you know i shouldn't be you know I, just this whole poverty mindset it looks like i can scrape together something i don't really deserve anything more than that and i'm fine and my first introduction to the extravagance of god i would say is i was praying for a laptop and asking god for a laptop and then shortly thereafter somebody came up and gave me a check and said this is for you to buy a new laptop and the check was for $15,000. And I I panicked because I was just like, my, my, my first instinct was so noble. I remember, I remember this <laughs> steadfast resolve and this somber look on my face <laughs> as I looked at this check and thought, I will reverse tithe. I will spend 10% and give 90% of it away. <laughs> and now that sounds noble, uh-huh. but it wasn't the Lord because it's actually the Lord's... <laughs> Hmm. I remember the Lord saying, no, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to actually go spend a lot of it because you needed something broken off your life. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to move into the blessings that I want to bring you because wow. you're constantly going to be moderating them. Like I, can't, <laughs> I won't be able to give you stuff because you're just going to, you know, you're going to be uncomfortable with it. And so that was, I remember the day, I remember going to the Apple store in Toronto, Canada. I remember just going in and literally going to have one of those and five of those and eight of these and... And coming home with, you know, I don't know what you're into, but we all have those idle moments late at night where we're online shopping and we just think, I wonder what it would be like to spec out my dream BMW or my, you know, AJ is constantly looking at kitchen porn. So Mm -hmm. that's my wife. She's always on (laughs) Williams and Sonoma and just dreaming about the stuff that she could buy or, you know, so whatever it is, whether it's cars, computers, houses, whatever it is, we all do that thing where we kind of spec out something amazing. And I'd done that on the Apple you know, store and, you know, maxing out laptops. And here I was in the very real reality of having $15,000 to spend on. It was ludicrous and it was horribly uncomfortable. And it was like, Ugh. but if you want to live in abundance, you have to change your mindset. Hmm. I realize in your story that I've had this kind of belief system where there is a, a little bit of a discomfort with over and above, you know, and you mentioned, oh, I'll, I'll spend what I need, you know, what would right. be just, okay, this is what I need. I need this level computer just legitimately to do my work right. and anything above that would be greedy. Ex- oh yeah. I, I think of Judas saying like, oh, you know, if we could have used the money that was used, you know, just to, right. on the board. but even that is different because, oh, well, you were washing the feet of Jesus with this expensive perfume and he's worthy right. of all this stuff. You know, what the, I guess, buzz question that I was thinking of asking you was, so does God, does this mean like God wants everyone to be rich? Like, and, and if so, or, or am I totally asking the wrong question and, uh, is my desire to not just have what I need, but to have, I mean, I guess really that is abundance is to have not just what you need because people go, Oh, you know, I pray you, you know, get a job and da, 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 and you, you drive a 1998 Ford Taurus. Cause that's, right. that'll get you from A to B. Right. You know, versus- and to want anything more would be worldly. Exactly. So I would differentiate rich from wealth. Okay. Absolutely. And I don't think God is, I think saying that God's interested in making you rich is too narrow 
for what he wants to do to you. I think God mm. wants to have you living in abundance. Rich is such, an, is such a poverty way of looking at what he wants to do. Mm. Like rich in itself is so small. It, because rich is just, um, what, what do you call it when it's, um, rich is contextualized. So when my mum and dad come over here to the UK, uh, to the US, I beg your pardon, they live in the UK, and I drive them from here to our church, we'll pass really large, beautiful houses, and still not some of the largest houses in Nashville, but just large houses. And I remember my mum making a comment like, like, that's disgraceful. Like, that was her reaction. It is disgraceful. Nobody needs that much house. I mean, she was offended by it. But in the same way, somebody who lives in the slums of India could come to my mother's house and go, that is disgraceful. Who needs that much space? So everything is relative. Hmm. And that's where you that's where rich trips you up. Rich is rich is the wrong is the wrong way of looking at what God wants to do, I I think. And here's why. The feeding of the five thousand did not require riches. Hmm. But you were left with abundance, twelve basketfuls. So the world's way of looking at a problem is we need hundreds of thousands of dollars to feed these people. The Lord's way of looking at it is, I'll take what's in your hand and multiply it. And so I, I live a life way beyond what I physically earn. Like I am, I mean, I'm rich compared to the rest of the world's population. I'm not rich next to my friend who just made $22 million. I'm not rich at all compared to that. But I live a life that is way beyond my income because I'm, I, because God's good and he brings abundance. So case in point, we had a vacation two, uh, a month ago, two months ago. We had some time off work. We were going to do a staycation because my budget said, you don't have money to go on vacation, which was absolutely right. We didn't want to go in debt to go on vacation. So we had no dollars and we were going to stay home. We were not rich to go on vacation. And yet somebody we have never met calls me and says, I know you don't know me, but I've, I know of you. And my wife was praying today. These are people I've never met. They don't go to our church. We would like to pay for you and go on vacation. So pick a hotel anywhere in the United States and we'll cover your expenses. And so the next day we drive off to a, I don't know, 1400 square foot corner, you know, wraparound balcony unit, two bedrooms, a living room, dining room, you know, marble counter kitchen tops that we didn't pay for. So we're not rich but we live a life that is in abundance of what we earn. Hmm. Does that make any sort of sense? It does, yeah. So the world says you need to amass wealth like Bill Gates. The Lord says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Well, what's in all things? I would say all things. <laughs> That's your definition of abundance. I'll take abundance over riches hmm. any day of the week. Huh. That's interesting. I, and I, I feel even in my own heart going, oh, but if I just have riches, then I have control. Right. You know? And if I seek first the kingdom, who knows what I'll have to give up along the way. Right. And what it will look like, you know, what all things will look like to God. And do I trust that his all things is, or the adding of it and the timing of that, of course, you know, will be appealing to me. And wouldn't it be nice if I could just control it? Right. And, and, and I totally see what you're saying with the rich being a narrow way of thinking in that way. Because if I just say God wants me to be rich, then I've given myself permission to miss out on 
vulnerable interactions with God that involve faith. Right. Man. So I have a control issue is what we're learning. This is also turned into a therapy podcast, by the way. <laughs> Tell me about your mother. <laughs> yeah. I think all of it is mindset. It is. I mean, two years ago I was on vacation and I remember walking from the car back to our apartment that we were on vacation with. And I remember not grumbling, but I remember having this kind of flashback of why do I drive the car that I drive? And why do I live in the house that I live in? And why have I chosen the vacation that I've chosen? And I don't think it has anything to do with I could afford all those things. Like that's the car I could afford. That's the house I could afford. I think my money didn't dictate it. My thought life dictated it and my money followed. Hmm. I'll tell you why. When AJ and I lived in Toronto, we had no money to buy a house, especially Toronto prices. And one day the Lord said to us, Alan and AJ, I'd love you to play a little game with me. I'd love you to just do an experiment. I want you to take every Sunday afternoon and I want you to let your heart dream and I want you to go house shopping. So we're like, okay. <laughs> like, aside from the fact that that seems like a waste of time because A, we don't have any money for a deposit and B, we're not sure if we're going to live in Toronto and see, like, what is this on to, you know? Mm-hmm. But we just said, okay, because, you know, let's face it, it's not a bad way to idly spend a couple of hours, you know, just kind of wandering around like your hard dream. So after a couple of weeks, we'd just, you know, we'd go to church, we'd go grab lunch, and then we'd just drive around all these developments and just kind of wander through show homes and just be like, oh, this is really nice, and this is really nice. After a couple of weeks, the Lord came back to me and he said, hey, Alan, how's the Sunday afternoon house shopping going? I'm like, great. And the Lord said, I just have one question for you. And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. He's like, why are you looking at properties that are $400,000 or less? And I'm like, well, that's all I can afford. And the Lord was like, you can't even afford (laughs) $400,000. So, so why is it you? Why is it you magically settled on a number that actually you don't have any money in the bank to afford a house? So why is it when you're dreaming, you instinctively cap your dreams of what you can afford, even when you can't afford it? Like that's ludicrous thinking. Besides which, I told you to dream, so that's the level you want to dream at. Well, that was just a slap in the face because I was like, oh. So somewhere in there, I pre-programmed myself to think I am worth this, or this is not I'm worth this, but this is the right amount for me. And I tell you what, whatever you pitch that at, it's you're worth way more than that. Interesting. So do you not to just straight away cut to the practical side of mindset, but would you say that having a mindset that would instinctively, inherently limit what you even look at or dream at would change the doors that God opens for you or the doors that you step through? Or, you know, couldn't I argue, oh, but wouldn't God just give you, this comes back to the, I guess this, we talked earlier about God's will and 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 that sort of thing. I guess a simple way of asking this is, do you think that your mindset has limited the blessing of God on your life? I would, I would say yes, with a few caveats. And here's the first caveat. God gave me a $15,000 check to buy laptops when I, I had a belief expectation for, you know, getting spare parts and fixing it myself. So clearly mm-hmm. God can override our limitations, right? And yet clearly in scripture, it's clear that people's expectations limited him. K. 
case in point when Jesus was in his hometown and he said because of their unbelief he could do no miracles except for a few healings. Hmm. So what's going on there? Well, their mindset determined what they got from him. So that's one of the paradoxes of the kingdom. You know, I, I don't think universally that applies because God can do whatever he wants and yet it seems often he loves to cooperate with the faith of the people that he's ministering to. Hmm. So, but yes, I do. I do in my own life. I think as we have, I think the reason, so I think this is what I'd be comfortable saying. I would say as a general rule of thumb, yes. Remember blind Bartimaeus, son of David, do not pass me Mm -hmm. by. And he comes to him and says, well, what is it you want? So right there, the Lord's like, what, what is it you want? He gives him your choice. The Lord already knew he was blind. He could have just healed him. But his first question is, what is it you want? We're not comfortable with thinking that God's interested in asking us what we want. Wow. I think we're comfortable thinking, oh God, what is your will? And he's asking us, well, hang on, what is it you want? And I think the answer that he gave determined what he got. Hmm. Because he didn't get healed until he asked for it. And then the Lord gives us this really staggering hint where he says, according to your faith be unto you. So let's take that as a premise. I think as a general rule of thumb, absolutely, our thoughts determine everything we receive in life, for sure. Hmm. Although God is all-powerful, he can intervene anytime he wants. I would suggest that the times that he intervenes is because you're thinking too small and he wants to teach you a new standard by which to think. Romans 12 says we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. The only way transformation comes is by thinking differently. So probably the thinking that you have has got you to where you are today. And if you want to live differently from today, then you have to learn to think differently tomorrow. Hmm. So yeah, when's your book coming out again? (laughs) So this is all an ad for the upcoming book by Mr. Alan Jones. I love all that. I would love to talk about what processing or developing may be the right word, a more godly mindset, a more abundant mindset has looked like for you or does still look like for you? You've mentioned, you know, at church, some different things that you do just to, on a practical level, try and uh, try and change the way that you think. Because, right. And I'll just say, as I let your contemplator have a few moments, for me sometimes, oh, so I just need to want more, like better stuff. And so what happens is I'll have maybe a expectation. Oh, well, I, I really want this. And so that means that God will give it to me. And I didn't even realize I had a expectation of a timeline, but actually I, I did. And then if I, if it doesn't happen, I'm like, wait, I thought that was the secret sauce was just saying what I wanted right. or wanting more. And then I deal with kind of the emotions of, of going, Oh, well maybe God doesn't want me to be abundant or, um, so I don't mean to throw too much at you there or to go back into our therapy session <laughs> earlier, but you know, have, how have you walked this out? I think that's a great question, Blake. And I think it would be very, very important to clarify at this point. I have not arrived. I'm not the sum total. I don't live in complete opulence because, you know, I, I, I really don't. And I'm an absolute learner on this journey. But I think probably the way to change your thinking is change your environment. Hmm. So hang around people who think like you want to think because you tend to become the lowest common denominator of the people you're hanging around. So that's absolutely imperative. You know, be around people who think like you want to think. Otherwise you'll think like, yeah, 
Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I think you need to take the word of God to confront your reality. And and to be clear, my um my expectation is not in a thing. My expectation is in the goodness of God. So I have pursued a revelation of what God is really like rather than a revelation of a Rolex watch. You know, it's bad to get a Rolex watch. Does, does that make sense? So if, yeah. you, if you're constant, if you're pursuing things, you're going to be disappointed. But if you pursue God, then he's going to give you more than you can ask or imagine. Huh. That's so interesting. And that's such an important distinction. Right. And I'm already thinking, so when you're in a situation, let's say you're in a situation where you, you find your circumstance not lining up with this whole idea of, oh, I have, you know, God provides for all my needs or I have right. more than enough and all these things. When you're in a time of uh, perceived great need financially, let's yep. say, what what is your response when you seek when it's obvious to you the thing that you need, how do you pursue or expect the goodness of God? Or what does that, what does that look like? In the Old Testament, Egypt is often used as what we would call a counterfeit uh, solution. So often the Lord would come and rebuke his people Israel for trusting in Egypt or for trusting in horses or chariots, basically the strength of man, rather than trusting in the Lord. I think today it is all too easy for me to think about the way God has worked in the past and expect that to happen. But that's me trusting in Egypt, so to speak, rather than trusting in God. So um, I think, like, so in this season, we got an amazing prophetic word, four prophetic words from Patricia King at the start of the year. The whole church did. And, and I'm adamant when I heard it, I was like, I don't care if anybody else picks this word up. I'm picking up if you walk into our bedroom. You'll see it written all over our walls in our bathroom. So whenever we face situations, which we do, and I I think that's an important tension as well, that faith is around there to upgrade your your circumstances. If, If I lived with a permanent solution, I would never need God. Hmm. So when we're in a state of need where the obvious solution is X, I'm, of course, I'm asking for X. I'm just saying, God, would you just meet this particular need? But I'm careful not to dictate how that happens. Otherwise, what happens is when I get around my wealthy friends, I'm just like, well, faith without hints is dead. You know, I'll just let my needs be known. And that's just, that's just carnal. That's faith without hints. That's just horrible. Dead. Like, <laughs> that's trusting in them to solve the problem rather than in God. And he's so creative. So it is constantly reminding myself, all right, God. You know, you can work so many different ways. You can just um, turn water into wine. You can just have empty jars that get filled up with oil and then I sell them. You can just do provision. You can do it all yourself. You can give me a new job or an opportunity to work harder. There's just a plethora of that. But I think purposing in your heart that like, okay, God, I I don't know what to do, but I'm I'm looking to you for my solution is where that helps rather than looking to the solution for the solution. Hmm. Looking to the solution and then turning back to God going, why would you give me this? You yeah. know, it's, that's so interesting. And this may be totally unrelated, but can I stop you for two seconds? Yes. 
I'm just thinking about, yeah. I'm thinking about, because I explained that horribly. <laughs> Peter and Jesus go to the temple and the temple officials say, hey, you haven't paid your temple tax, right? The temple tax, so what do they need right there? So, you know, Jesus has a conversation with Peter, you know, who pays the tax, blah, 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 blah. That's not, that's not the point of interest right now. But at the end result, they both agree, yes, we should pay the temple tax. What do they need at that point? Money. They need money. So the solution to the predicament they find themselves in is, I think, a two drachma coin. They need one drachma for him and one drachma for him. They need money. And God's solution isn't, voila, here is some money. God's solution is, go catch some fish. Oh, this is the worst time for us to go fishing. And yet he's obedient. He goes and does what's in his hand, Peter as a fisherman. But there's supernatural provision. He catches a fish. Not only does he get the fish for his supper, but when he opens up the fish, there's a freaking two drachma coin in it. And he goes and pays him. So that's an example of, you know, Jesus' solution isn't to give the thing oh, they need. It's, it's something completely random. And our, I think part of the problem we don't see the abundance is God's solution makes no sense. You want me to go fishing. Like, that's just <laughs> ludicrous. I don't think you're hearing me. What I need is two drachmas. And he doesn't say, oh, go and do this and then you'll find this. He just says, go and do it. So that's what I mean about the thing isn't the thing. It's the kingdom that's the thing. Wow. Why do you think God does it that way? He's Jehovah sneaky. <laughs> yeah. But you can imagine, what about later on in life when Peter needs some money? You can imagine a temptation to go, I'll just go fishing. I wonder how many fish he caught with the hope that there'd be a two drachma coin in there. Hmm. And the, the, the takeaway there isn't when in times of need go fishing. The takeaway is my God will meet all your needs. Hmm. That's so interesting. I, what I was uh, going to say earlier was that I, I think I maybe grew up this way or maybe I just have surrounded myself with this sort of thinking of God, you know, comes through, you know, at the 11th hour always. And if God's going to do things, I was like, you know, right, barely like, oh, we just barely made it. Right. And I think there's a lot of times where that's totally the intended purpose of the Lord is to, right. is to be, you know, no, I was always going to come in right here in the nick of time. But sometimes I wonder if actually, because what ends up happening a lot of times is I will come to a certain understanding and then there will be breakthrough or I'll come to, and I go, Oh, I wonder if I just had changed my mindset earlier. If actually I'm putting this whole thing on God's always coming at the last second. And I wonder if he's actually more of a planner but, <laughs> you know, if, if I were, were to have been, uh, I guess, thinking correctly or um, choosing to open myself up to the possibilities that exist if I choose his goodness over a certain end result right. strictly. Does that make sense? Is it that does. unrelated? No, no, I think <laughs> you're right. I don't know the answer to it, but I think you could be right. I think, I think, I wonder if when we're, our backs are against the wall... That's when we're desperate and we'll try anything, including changing the way we think. Hmm. Yeah. On a, uh, I'm trying to think a good way to ask this. Where do babies What's, come from? Yeah. <laughs> well, Blake, it's a special sort of yeah. cuddle between a mummy and a daddy. <laughs> if you could recommend a resource, um, you better say the Bible, otherwise you're not a pastor. Right. But is has there been another 
influential speaker, author, or an experience even that has helped you out considerably in this whole area of changing your mindset? Oh, there's been tons of experiences. So many experiences of just God, you know, absolutely changing the way we think and, you know, it's it's staggering the way he does that. So yeah, there's a wealth of those. I think the books have been hard for me to read because I automatically excuse myself from them because of my mindset, if that makes sense. So rather than reading the books and the books changing my mindset, I come up with reasons why this book won't work for me. And that, that when you think like that, that indicates you have a stronghold. And the only way to break a stronghold is to just ask for Jesus' help. So I don't know too many books off the top of my head that really did it for me because I was just like, ah. I think probably, you know, Graham Cook, although he hasn't been teaching about wealth, he's been teaching about mindsets. It's arrested me, absolutely arrested me. No other way of saying it if we're like, wait, if that's true, then, you know, this, that, and the next thing. But mostly it's been my need. It's been me making stupid financial decisions, then being in a situation where going like, daddy, I need help. And him going, let me show you a better way, which is what he does. He's just brilliant at that. And my mistakes and his solutions have made me think about better ways of doing things. And so there's good news because most people have made horrible decisions. Or most people are making what seem like wise decisions, which are terrible decisions. And the Lord's really, really good at, you know, training and teaching and equipping. I'm sorry, that's not a very glamorous answer. No, I was... I would would read widely. So because I was so comfortable on why the love of money is the root of all evil and all the verses about, you know, don't wear yourself out to get rich and, you know, all the the go-to reasons why Christians don't think they should be wealthy... I would spend some time in the other camp, even if I don't agree with them. So let's just go find your most ridiculous prosperity gospel teacher. Listen to them, because you know what? They're going to have some good points. Hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. even if all of it's not right, some of it's going to be right. Mm-hmm. And But really, it's been around people that don't... So I have, a, I, have, I have many friends who are ridiculously wealthy. I remember speaking to a friend of mine who uh, is a very wealthy businessman. And... I asked him this question. I said, do you ever have a conflict between your wealth and your faith? And he's like, no. He said, because if I did, and I said, basically, I was kind of grappling with how much money this guy had and how money seemed to come to him so easily. Like, it's staggering. And and he was just saying, I just asked him about what he thought. I, I don't think I was even smart enough to ask him questions like you're asking. I think probably, it's not that I was offended by his wealth, I was just affronted by it. I'd never seen so much wealth and I'd never seen somebody walk in wealth so easily and it didn't taint him. Let me huh. open parenthesis here. You and I both know Gary Morgan from Australia. Yes. For those of you who are listening who don't know Gary Morgan, let me just describe Gary Morgan. Gary Morgan is one of my closest friends and he's originally from Wales and at a very early age, I don't know how to put this any other way than he began to hear the voice of God so clearly that if you didn't know better, you would think he's reading people's minds and thoughts. So I have I have lost count of the number of miraculous times I've been in situations, be it meetings, be it private meetings, be it restaurants, be it airports, hotels, wherever, he can go up to people and just say, 
you know, he might know their name, their phone number, their PIN number for their phone, and he will tell them insane details about their life that God has told him. Now, that is a peculiar gift. There's no two ways around that. That, I only know a handful of people in the world that can do that. And, you know, you and I have sat in meetings where he has called out people by name and then distinguished between them by the spelling of their name and just, you know, told them their birthday or their... And it is, like, it's an awesome thing to look at. What I love about Gary is he is aware it's an awesome gift. He doesn't try and downplay it like, oh, no, no, it's nothing. Neither does he exalt it. Well, I'm kind of a big deal. He doesn't do either of those things. He will just sit with you over a burger and go, yeah, it's crazy, right? It's totally. He's as fascinated by it as we are. And also, he's not selfish with it. So he's more than happy to tell you about how he got the gift and how the gift works. And he's not embarrassed by it. It's not a hindrance to him, nor is his identity wrapped up in it. He's just aware it's a gift and he's just a normal person and the gift works independently of him. And he can talk to you about the challenges and the how to live a normal life with knowing people's thoughts when you're around. You know, he, and I found that so refreshing. Close parenthesis. This, you know, multimillionaire that I was hanging out with is exactly the same as Gary. Like, it's obvious he is loaded. To pretend that he wasn't would be false humility. To brag about how much he earns would would just be ridiculous. So here's this guy who is blessed with the gift of attracting money, who's a multi-million dollar, uh, multi-millionaire. And he's more than happy to talk to you about how he got, he's not embarrassed by it. It doesn't, his identity's not wrapped up in it. And it was so refreshing, but so uncomfortable, because I think for most of us, we're uncomfortable with our financial status, whether it's good or bad which is why I think you're amazing that you're writing a blog about, hey, like, this is how much debt I'm in, this is how much I made this month. Here, you know, welcome into my journey of me processing money and hopefully I can tell the story as it gets better rather than it getting better and me writing the story in hindsight. I think it's amazing. It requires huge levels of transparency. But this guy had that transparency. And I was just asking him, like, well, you know, do you ever feel bad about being wealthy? And he looked at me like, perturbed like do you feel bad being healthy he's like what's your alternative to live in sickness and poverty like that's more of god's will than you to live the other way and somehow see i thought no no no, there's a middle like you know god doesn't want you poor or rich and there is that verse in scripture you know where he says that but he he was so accosted like well what's the alternative so you're always going to be wealthy to someone Hmm. i have a friend who is a multi-millionaire um, I remember in one year he made $22 million, a great, great friend of mine. And yet his job is to invest money for high net worth individuals. I remember going, aren't you a high net worth individual? <laughs> and he's like, not compared to these guys. Wow. And so I was like, oh, it really doesn't matter where you are. There's somebody always wealthier and all someone always poorer than you. And so you've got to stop thinking in terms of, riches you need to start thinking in terms of abundance Hmm. and so abundance in uh how how would you define that then abundance is enough to meet your needs and more so you can meet the needs of others so good let's stop right there okay that's great If you want more of that, subscribe to Blake and Elena's wonderful podcast, White Flag Wealth. You can find more about them at blakestratton.com. Blake is also launching the $100 podcast course. The same guy 
that taught us how to podcast will teach you everything you need to know to start podcasting for 100 bucks. That includes the cost of the equipment you'll need and the course. Blake's an excellent wow. teacher and the real deal. You can find links to everything we talked about this week in our show notes at alanandaj.com slash 111. And we'll be back next week, back from vacation, rested and ready to go. We'll see you next week. Bye. Faith, life, communication, tacos and video games. Paleo donuts and the kindness of God are things we deal with every day. From Franklin, Tennessee, they are just like you and me. Alan and AJ, keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses, sharing their life experiences. Keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses, they talk about faith in God. And everything under the sun If you are a human being There's something here for everyone